is that I'm going to be working with uh, the Gospel of Matthew, the book of Matthew, uh, looking at uh, chapter 10, uh, working with verses 1 through 11. And so if you will at this time, go ahead and open up to that if you have your Bibles. And I'm just going to open up in prayer because I never want to attempt to handle the Word of God without first going for Him myself. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Lord, we just um, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for uh, the beautiful day that we have. Uh, we thank you for this uh, beautiful audience and just the children that's in the house. We just ask, Lord, that, that as I bring this message, Father, that they actually hear more from you than they actually do from me, Father God. They need to hear your word speak into their lives. They need to hear your word speak over their, their pains and hurts. They need to hear your word encouraging them to move forward in life. And so we just pray, Father God, that it would please you that we would preach your word to the end that some may be saved. In Jesus' precious name we all say, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Seinfeld was one of the most uh, popular TV shows in history. And as uh, some of you probably uh, think about some of the different shows, there are probably a lot of different characters that, that you really liked about the, the show. There might have been some characters that you can personally relate to. You know, there's a number of different reasons why this show was so popular. One of the things that was kind of interesting about the show was, was they did an analysis to try to determine why was this show so popular? What was it that made people relate to it so much? And one of the things about the show that as many of you probably know was that there really wasn't a whole lot of uh, plot or theme to the show. You know, uh, Jerry Seinfeld often referred to it as the, the, the show about nothing because as you kind of watch the show, most of the characters just kind of meander through life and they just kind of uh, pointed out funny things that they encountered. Well, the reason why people found such a connection with that was that most people felt like, like their own personal lives were so aimless and meaningless that they could relate to the characters on the show. And today we are going to be looking at Matthew chapter 10. And as we look at Matthew chapter 10, we're not going to actually examine the entire chapter. There's uh, 40 verses throughout. We're going to be looking at the first 11 verses. And this chapter is known as the discipleship chapter. This is the chapter where Jesus is kind of defining the purpose of his disciples as he uh, uh, empowers them and sends them out to, to preach the word and to heal the sick and to raise the dead. And as we are, are watching this, as we're going to be looking at this text, we're going to be seeing that the disciples are switching from merely people who are aimlessly following Jesus to people who had a purpose in their lives. Some of you here this morning, you may kind of feel like some of those Seinfeld episodes. You may kind of feel that, that as you look at your Christian walk, it's almost kind of aimless in a sense. As you think about your personal life, you say, well, I got this career, uh, I've got this schooling, I got this direction that I'm heading with almost every area of my life. But as I think about my spiritual life, it feels like I just kind of go to church, listen to the message, go home and go back to my regular life. Church is just kind of something divorced uh, of my life as a whole. Some of you may be uh, challenged to try to find, you know, some purpose or direction with what God is wanting to do with you, like these Seinfeld episodes. Well, I want to encourage you to listen closely to the message that I feel that God has wanted me to bring before you this morning, because there are some elements that we will see that God was pointing out, that Jesus was pointing out to these disciples to help them grasp that there was a purpose and a calling upon their lives. And if you kind of look at some of these things, I think you're going to see a lot of stuff that will speak to you personally as well. So please listen closely as we examine what Jesus is doing with his disciples in these 11 verses. I want to start off with uh, Matthew 10, verse 1. 
where it says, He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Well, there are a few sections throughout the Bible where we see that there is kind of like a nutshell explanation of what's about to unfold and then a more detailed telling of the story. We kind of see this at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis where it says that God created everything and then it goes day by day on how he actually created everything. Well, that's much the same thing that's taking place here. He's saying that Jesus is calling them to himself. He's giving them power. He's sending them out to to make a difference. And as we're going to continue to read the rest of, the, of this passage, we're going to see in detail what he actually does when he is doing this thing. But I want to pause here for a second because there's an interesting word that is used here, and this is that word uh, authority. This word in the Greek is the word exousia, and what exousia means is authority in legitimate hands. Exousia is authority in legitimate hands. And what that, that picture is, is for me, my favorite sport to watch is football. I like football. And unfortunately, yes, my favorite team is the Raiders. And yeah, you can dog us all you can. It is what it is. But um, as you watch football, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you see all these different players out there. They're, they're, they're big, they're muscular, they're strong, they're fast, especially like when you look at some of the linemen. I mean, like some of those linemen weigh like, like two, three hundred pounds, and yet they can sprint probably faster than a lot of us here in this room. And on top of that, they got all this, this gear on, uh, this protective stuff, and their helmets. You know, if, if any one of those linemen put a hit on any one of us in this room, you know, they put us into a world of hurt. And yet, as powerful as those linemen are, they're not the most powerful person on the field. The one with the most power, the one with the most authority, are these little skinny guys running around the field in black and white t-shirts and a whistle. The, <laughs> they are the most powerful ones on the field. The lineman can knock you down, but the ref can throw you out. And what God wants the disciples to see and what he wants us to see is that as he sends us out to do his ministry, as we send us out to partner with him in the ministry of Christ, he wants us to know that even though the devil's got more power, more, more raw power that he can come against people with, you hold the whistle. You're that little skinny guy with the black and white shirt and the whistle. You have the power to throw the demons out, which is what the disciples are going to be seeing. And this is important because it's this, this concept, this idea of, of this element of Jesus that goes with us whenever we go out in his name. It's this element of his power, this, this element of his authority that goes with us as we go out to, to minister his word and preach on his behalf. And so as we continue forward, we'll see more how this actually unfolds. Look with me now at uh, Matthew 2 through 4. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and uh, Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So, so who are these individuals? Who are these apostles? Who, who is this, this, this ragtag group of, of scrappy individuals? Well, as we kind of look at them in their own setting, these were kind of the society rejects. These were kind of the bottom of the barrel individuals. These were the, the social outcasts. These are the people least likely to be successful in life. And yet, for Jesus, none of that mattered. It wasn't important to Jesus who, how society looked at them. What was important to Jesus was how he looked at them, what he saw in them, 
the possibilities that lied within them yet to be tapped. For Jesus, it wasn't so much who they were, but who they were becoming. For Jesus, it wasn't so much who they were, but who they were becoming. It wasn't about their past, it was about their future. And that brings me to my first point that I want to illustrate this morning. Your past is not a hindrance to your calling. Your past is not a hindrance to your calling. Allow me to illustrate this point a little bit with my own personal testimony. I grew up in a family that for the most part was somewhat healthy, at least to the best of my understanding. And then everything changed when I was 10 because it was when I was 10 that my mom abandoned our family, abandoned my my dad, my sister, and myself. And as she did that, uh, my dad packed us up, and we moved out of the the Tulare area, moved over to the coast. And then as he got with, with a woman there that he decided that he wanted to marry, she had a daughter that was the same age as my sister, and all of a sudden we were going to be this new family. They were going to be getting married. And one day she pulled me aside and said, you know, I've seen all the problems my sister has had raising boys. Boys are too difficult. I'm getting rid of you somehow. And so at the age of 13, my dad disowned me. My choosing to deal with my stuff was that I turned to to drugs and alcohol to self-medicate my pain of rejection. I was drinking by the time I was 11. I was smoking pot by the time I was 13. I was into doing coke by the time I was 17. And I was freebasing by 19. And it wasn't long after that that I found myself locked up in L.A. County Jail. And it was at that point that the enemy was saying to himself, now watch me finish this boy off. Watch me do away with this one. Watch me put the final blow to this life. But then God said, not so fast. Because it was there that I ended up giving my life to the Lord. Because God said, not so fast. Do you realize that there is a, probably a point in almost everybody's life in this room where the devil said, now watch me cast this final blow. Watch me do away with this person. Watch me do away with this young woman. Watch me do away with this man. I got him in the grip of divorce. Watch me do away with this life now. I got him in the, in the grip of rejection. I got him in the grip of abandonment. I got him where the point where, where all the people that they thought, thought loved them don't love them, and it's finally all manifesting where everything is turning, turning against them. Watch me finish this person off. And God said, not so fast. A lot of us have different things in our past that as we think about them, we say, you know, well, with all the stuff that I've been through, with all this junk that, that has happened to me, why in the world would God still want to use me? Well, because like the disciples, it doesn't matter so much where you've been or what you've done or what you got caught up in. It matters what God is going to do with your life from this point forward. It matters how he wants to turn that around and use it for greater good. It matters how your deepest pain will become your point of greatest ministry. Amen. It doesn't matter what we've been through in our past. It doesn't matter how much we have been at the pinnacle of society's rejects, like the disciples themselves. 
Your past is not a hindrance to your calling because it doesn't matter where you've been and what's happened to you. What matters is what God sees for your future. It matters how God sees that he's still going to utilize you. Your, your past is not a hindrance to your calling. God can still use you mightily if we allow him to unleash his power in our lives. Because that's what the disciples were coming to the realization by him empowering them and sending out this group of society rejects. Look now at verses uh, 5 through 8 with me. Where it continues and says, These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. So, so why is Jesus sending them out? You know, why is he all of a sudden releasing them to go out and do this stuff all by themselves? Wasn't it sufficient for them simply to be following Jesus and just kind of being a part of the pack? Wasn't it sufficient just to actually be part of his, his inner core of the group? Of all the hundreds and thousands of people that were following, these 12 got to be the closest to him. Wasn't that sufficient just for them just to be kind of watching Jesus do all this stuff? Well, for Jesus, it wasn't. Up to this point, they had been walking with Jesus, watching Jesus do all these miracles, just kind of being on the sidelines. And some theologians believe that the feeding of the 5,000, which in Matthew actually comes up in the next chapter, some theologians believe that that actually came before Jesus actually sent out the 12. And what that means is that, that they had followed Jesus and they had watched miracles and they had participated in one. Because with the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus multiplied the, the, the fish and the loaves, but it was the disciples that had actually distributed it. That, that miracle of the multiplying touched the hands of the disciples before it touched the hands of the people who needed it. And so as we look at this, we see, well, you know, wasn't this good enough? Wasn't it good enough just to watch the miracles? Wasn't it good enough just to be a part of some of the miracles? No, because Jesus knew that if all they did was sit on the sidelines, there was going to be a limit to their growth and maturity as a Christian and as the disciples. If all they did was, was sit on the sidelines and just watch from the pews, then there was going to be a limit to how much they were going to grow in Christ. If all they did was just watch Jesus do everything, then there was going to be a limit to how much they would grow personally. If all that happened was that they were only watching the pastor do everything, or the few children's workers to do everything, or the few sound workers to do everything, or the few worshipers. To, if all they did was watch everybody else do everything, there is going to be a limit to how much they would grow. Obviously, you see I'm going with somewhere with this. My, my next point is you will grow when you engage your calling. You will grow when you engage your calling. One of the most common questions I ever get as a pastor is, why has my growth plateaued? Why am I no longer growing? When I, when I first became a Christian, I was so on fire. I was like reading everything I could read. I was, you know, always into reading the, the, the gospels. I was always taking notes when, when pastor would preach. I was always looking for, for new books at, at the Christian bookstore. 
and, and, I, and I, was, I was growing, I was learning, I, I was like getting better at this stuff. Now it feels like, like I've just kind of like hit a, hit a ceiling. I feel like, like my growth has just kind of stopped. Why have I stopped growing? My first question to them is always this, where are you serving? Where are you engaged? Where is Jesus using you to touch the lives of others? Because whenever a, a, an anointing or a blessing or whenever we, God blesses somebody, he always blesses some, that somebody through some, some individual. That blessing, when he touches somebody, it flows to somebody first. Just uh, as much as, I, as I'm standing here before you delivering this word, I'm getting blessed delivering the word as much as you're getting blessed receiving it because you're really hearing from God more so than me. At least you should be hearing from God more so than me. And so there's this element of being a part of that chain of the blessing flowing to the people that need it. And I know that the question can come up, well, you know, but where does it say that we have to do ministry. What does it say in the Bible? Where, where is it in here that I have to be involved with ministry in order to continue to grow? Well, honestly, it doesn't really say it anywhere. It says that we are supposed to be out uh, sharing his word. We have the, the command and the commission to, to spread the gospel, to spread the good news. But does it honestly say somewhere that thou shalt be in ministry? No. There's nothing specifically in here that says that we have to. But there's everything about this word that says we should want to. There's everything about watching what God did through others. There's everything about seeing miracles take place in people's lives. There's everything about seeing how people are blessed when they get to be a blessing to those around them. You know, the image for me is my son Joshua. You know, whenever I'm doing some sort of project around the house, he is always under my feet saying, you know, how can I help, Daddy? You know, what can I do? How can I help you, Daddy? What can, what can, I, can, I, can I hold the screws? Can I hold the nails? Can I hold the bolts? You know, let, let me hand them to you one at a time, Dad. No, no matter what project I'm doing around the house, whether it's working on the car or doing some, some uh, closet kit, whatever it is, Joshua always wants to be there with me. And he even gets more excited when he knows that i got to use some sort of power tool to do whatever it is I'm doing. <laughs> He gets excited about this little yellow thing that I hold in my hand that has a battery and drives in screws whenever I push the button. And one time I was just putting some extra screws in, uh, in a shelf, and so I told him that he can go ahead and help me with it. And so I let him kind of help me hold the, 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 the drill, and I, had, I held the, the screw, and I had him hope to push the button, and he saw the little motor start spinning and the little light come on to aim where you were driving the screw in, and he got so excited. He got giddy. I mean, like, you would have thought I just told him it's okay to pee outside the toilet. That's how excited he was. And, and my wife isn't in this service, but she's going to be in the next one. So she's actually going to be, this is going to be the first time she's hearing about this. So, so I may need to sleep at somebody else's house tonight. But he got excited helping daddy. He got excited being able to partner with daddy. He got excited being able to work with that power with daddy. There, there, there's nothing in the Bible anywhere that says you have to be involved with father. But there's everything about the Bible that says you should want to. 
It is because of this ministry that we get involved with that we end up being able to grow. You know, it's like with, with marriage. Um, it is in marriage, it's in the context of marriage that we really start to grow in our maturity in the area of relationships, is it not? You know, as men, we, we learn that we need to be more, uh, more willing to, to support our wives and protect our wives and to be willing to, to sit down and listen to them, try to improve in our communication. It's our wives uh, that are always having to kind of put up with us men. You know, when, whenever men come to ask me for advice, advice about, about relationships and communication, they're always asking how to fix the, uh, their wives when... <laughs> When wives ask me for advice and communication, they're always asking how to fix the kids because they've already given up on the men. <laughs> but it's in this context of marriage that we mature and get better at relationships, is it not? It's only in the context of serving that we become better and more effective at our growth in ministry, at our maturity at our growing in, becoming more Christ-like in our everyday walk. So, yeah, there's, there's nothing about the Bible that says you have to be involved with ministry, but there's everything about it that says that we should want to because it is in that that we get to partner with the Father. It's in that that we get to share in the power. It is in that that we get to finally start growing past those plateaus that probably a lot of you have hit. And so if some of you are, are wondering, you know, why am I at this plateau? Why am I no longer growing? My question to you, my challenge to you is where are you serving? Where are you engaged in ministry? That is why it is so important that we get involved with this because as you, we will grow as we are engaged in our ministry and our calling. Look finally with me now at uh, Matthew 10, verses 9 through 11. Jesus says to them, Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunics or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search for someone worthy there and stay at his house until you leave. Now, as Jesus is saying this to the disciples, they are about to go out. They are about to embark on this ministry. They are about to really actively get involved with the, with the work of, of healing people, of raising the dead, of, of casting out demons. But at this stage, before they actually are going out, as they're still listening to Jesus say all these things before them, this was still pretty early in their, in their development. They weren't, at this point, they weren't exactly the sharpest tool on the bench. But... Because of that, there was a lot of times that they misunderstood what Jesus was trying to tell them. Because of that, there was a lot of things that they didn't fully understand when Jesus was trying to instruct them. And so this, this particular moment was probably no exception. They were probably hearing this saying, Jesus telling them, you know, don't worry about taking all this stuff. Don't take extra money. Don't take extra clothes. Don't take extra sandals. They were probably hearing this just thinking, to themselves, oh, well, this must mean that this is just going to be a short journey. This must mean this is just going to be a short mission. We're probably just going to go for a day and come back. That's why we don't need all this extra stuff. But what they were missing was that what Jesus was really trying to tell them is that as you go out, as you engage in the things that I'm sending you to do, as you engage in the ministry that I'm appointing to you, I have already pre-selected people to partner with you, and I've already appointed resources to be available to you. As you go out, there will already be the things that you need in order to be effective with the, with the commission that I'm giving you. Jesus wanted them to know that he is going to ensure for their success by making sure that they had everything that they needed. And that brings me to my third and final point, which is that God will provide the resources necessary for your calling. 
God will provide the resources necessary for your calling. Whenever I am moving in sync with God, whenever I'm in step with what he is calling me to do, whenever I'm moving in the direction he is wanting me, I can always tell because he is always a step ahead of me, providing the resources, the anointing, the favor, the blessing, the people to support me, the monies that is necessary. He's always a step ahead of me, providing everything that I can ever foresee that I'm going to need. I never have to worry about many of the things. All I have to worry about is whether or not I'm in step with him. It kind of um, reminds me of the story I heard about a pastor who had went away on this retreat. He was just wanting, needing some time to kind of plan out the next year of ministry. And as he's on his retreat, he went to this bed and breakfast. And when he was having breakfast, uh, he was down in, in the, at the table, and he saw this really cool salt and pepper and creamer matching set. That, that looked like it would go perfect with some of the other China stuff that he has at home. And he was tempted to accidentally have those things fall into his briefcase. But being a pastor, being away from home, he, he did not want to do that. And so he resisted the urge. And when he got back to his church the very next weekend, he kind of shared with them that he was proud that even though nobody was around, he did the right thing. And so he kind of shared that, and so all the people applauded, and good for you, Pastor. And later that week, he got this box sent to him in the mail. And when he opened up the box, it was the salt and pepper shaker and the creamer set. And there was a little note in there that said, thank you, Pastor, for being such a good example for resisting, even though nobody would have known you resisted and you even were willing to share how you were tempted to do this. I, I called the, 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 the bed and breakfast. I found out what the set was, where to order, and so I ordered you a set. Thank you for being our pastor. And so the very next Sunday, he got up and you know, said, you know, I don't want to share the person's name because I'm sure they want to remain anonymous. But, you know, this is what the person did for me. They went out and they tracked down that salt and pepper and creamer set, and they, and they bought it for me. So I just want to thank them for that. And, you know, I forgot to share this, but there was also this really cool 50-inch flat-screen TV I saw there. <laughs> But I'm not trying to tell you to do anything. (laughs) God will always provide the resources necessary that we need for our ministry. And why does he do that? Why, why, Why does God feel it necessary to provide those things? Well, part of it is that as we go out, we are representing him. We are his ambassadors. And so part of his wanting to make sure that we will be successful is that it brings glory to himself. It makes himself look good. His name is on the line when we go out to do ministry. And so that's part of the reason why God wants to ensure that we are successful and we have all the resources necessary to do his ministry. But the other reason is a lot more personal than that. The other reason is that as he looks at our lives, he knows that a lot of you have been hurt in life. He knows that a lot of you have went through different things, have experienced different pains, has been abandoned at the moment when you felt like you needed people there the most. God knows that there's points in your lives that you've been so hurt that it's hard for you to trust, even trust him. It's hard for you to step out in faith in areas when you're so used to whenever you do step out in faith and try to trust other people, you just get damaged and hurt by them. God knows that it's a challenge sometimes for us to trust him. Even though he's God, even though he saved us, he died for us, he knows it's still hard for us sometimes to trust. 
And so he wants to make sure that you get that this is really a calling on your life, that you are really his child, that you are really saved, that you are really adequate and, and uh, effective and somebody worthy of being called to ministry. He knows that you have a challenge, a hard time, and that is a challenge to trust. And so part of his desire to make sure that the resources and people and supplies are there for your ministry as you step out is that he wants to continue to build your trust in him. And so he takes it personally to be his responsibility to make sure that we are adequately equipped for the ministry. And that is why it's important that we grasp that it is that God will provide the resources necessary for our calling. Amen? Allow me to wrap up here. Like the disciples, as Jesus sent them out, he wanted them to move out of just merely following, just merely being in, in the stands, getting off the silence. He wanted them to get involved with the actual game itself. He wanted them to grasp that there was a specific purpose and calling on their life and that they were worthy of that purpose and calling. But he knew that they would never step up to the plate unless they grasped these few points. He knows that some of us will never step up to the plate unless we grasp these things, that your past is not a hindrance to your calling, that you will grow when you engage your calling, and that God will provide the resources necessary for your calling. Once we grasp these points and move forward with our calling, we will see the power of God unleashed in our lives in a way that we've never experienced before. We will grow past those plateaus of our maturity in our growth. Like the disciples, once the power was unleashed in their lives, that ragtag group of rejects, that ragtag group that can never get it together, once God's power was unleashed in them, they were able to go forth and transform the Roman Empire. They were unstoppable at that point. They couldn't persecute them enough. They couldn't imprison them enough. They couldn't jail them enough. They couldn't beat them enough. They couldn't kill them enough. Nothing that the Roman Empire did could stop the disciples because the power had been unleashed. I have come here this morning to plead, to beg, that as we leave here on a regular basis on Sunday mornings, that we will leave with the word so fired up in us that we are so determined to see the name and fame of Christ more widely known that we will not be satisfied until we see this nation turned upside down for Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Bow your heads, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Lord, we just thank you that as we look at this text, as we see these disciples, this, this society's rejects, that you use them and you empower them in spite of what the people around them would say of them. You knew that it was not about their past, but it was about their future. And then you, you knew it was not about who they were, but who they were becoming. And there are a lot of people in this, um, in this room this morning, this congregation, that they are still struggling seeing themselves worthy like that. They, they've, they've grown to a certain point, but they've hit a plateau in their maturity. And I just ask, Father God, that they take to heart the things that you have, have said through me today to them. I pray, Lord, that there are some things that will cause them to, to be willing to get up off the pews and get involved in the game. Whether it be with the worship team or the sound team or the children's ministry or whatever it may be. We pray, Father God, that you encourage and empower and just set a fire in their hearts that they will not be quenched until they are actively serving you 
and growing past their plateaus. I know, Father, that there may be some here this morning that this message has spoken to them in such a way that it has caused them to be willing to release things that they haven't in the past, that they are now willing to accept you as Lord and Savior. And so we want to give those individuals that opportunity at this time. So with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, if you've been running and struggling and fighting God up to this point and you're now saying, no, no, you know, I see that I am worthy. I just want you just to lift your hands up into the air. Nobody's looking around. This is just between you and the Lord. And just say, yes, Lord, I want to receive you this morning. Or if there are some that you are ready to get off the pews, if you're ready to get into the game, if you're ready to get active with serving and to see that power unleashed in your lives, I want to encourage you to speak with some of the different ministry leaders we have in our church and get in there. Get off the benches. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for all that you do in our lives. We ask that you just go with us. Just keep us safe in this week and just continue to bring some of these thoughts back to mind as we go out into that missionary field that we call our our job site and our school site. And we just thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us on the cross. In Jesus' precious name, we all say amen. Thank you for coming this morning.